the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Will the same-sex marriage bill put churches in the crosshairs? And then an inspirational story from the sports world. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends. Welcome to The Common Good. You're on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us on a Thursday afternoon. One week, exactly one week from right now, Aubrey, I will probably be asleep Sleep. on a couch. That's what I was just thinking. I will have changed into sweatpants. Yes. Football will be, there'll be gravy on my All shirt. Of that. Is it the serotonin or the dopamine that the turkey gives you? It's one or the other. And serotonin, you, Yeah, right? I think it's serotonin. Or is that bananas? It may be both. Let's say okay. it's in both. And you see, so you'll be sleepy, you'll be satisfied, you'll be watching football. I'm very happy for you. I will for also. Your Thanksgiving I will have to come just. Uh, it's tryptophan, by the way. I will tryptophan! have. I will have had that moment where you're so full, and then dessert gets put out, and you go, "Well, I got to go have lots of dessert now too." And then it, you just feel like you've accomplished something. So yeah. one week from today is Thanksgiving. Hopefully, you've Yay. got big plans out there. We're really glad that you're joining us today here on the Common uh, Good. So Aubrey. There is something going through the Senate right now, or Congress, called the Respect for Marriage Act. I don't know if you've seen this. I haven't. But it uh, it provides, um, it kind of codifies same-sex marriage, gotcha. right, uh, into federal law. Uh, and it's a bipartisan bill. So it's a bipartisan bill. But Senator Mike Lee, a Republican out of Utah, said it could be used against those who believe in the reality of marriage is between a man and a woman. And here's where I want to get at. He is basically raising the flag that uh, what could be coming. He said this. I offered to support the bill if the sponsors would include my amendment to prohibit the government from removing tax exempt status based on religious beliefs about same sex marriage for or against the sponsors adamantly refuse to even consider that. And then he asks this question. Why? So this bill is sponsored on the Republican side by Rob Portman, by Susan Collins, by Tom Tillis, on the Democratic side by Tammy Baldwin, Kirsten Cinema. Uh, they're saying this is much ado about nothing. But it got me thinking, Aubrey, that whether it be this bill, whether it be the next bill, I actually right. don't want to know what people think about the bill itself, about right. same-sex marriage. Right. I always hear this held out, though, for churches, like, be careful, you're about to lose your, your tax-exempt tax exempt status. status. You and I are pastors. Yeah. Fully aware of all that the tax-exempt Absolutely. I love the tax-exempt yes. status, yes. personally, corporately. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of us Protestants mm-hmm. are hanging on to the Catholics because the Catholics are the ones who fight the battle <laughs> That's strongest. Right. That's right. So we're holding on to this. But I wonder, Aubrey, if we all just need to get to the point where we go— we lose the tax exempt status, we lose the tax exempt status. You know, it's status. interesting. I've been thinking about that for, you know, not forever, but like I would say in the past couple of years, because you do hear this more and more held out as like, be careful, churches, they're coming for your tax exempt status. Right. And again, like you, I understand that is a great privilege and like something I don't want to take lightly. And I don't At, want it to go away. I don't want it to go away either. At the same time, I think you're right, Brian. Like, can we hold the tax exempt status a little more loosely as just church folk and church leaders and kind of go, well, 
it doesn't change our mission. Mm-hmm. It doesn't change the fact that we're a church under the Lordship of Jesus Christ living on mission for him. It doesn't change our call to love our neighbors and not love our neighbors. And so I, I mean, not, not love our neighbors. You know what I mean? It doesn't, mm-hmm. it doesn't mm-hmm. change why we exist and who we are. It certainly is a beautiful benefit, but I don't know that that needs to be uh, the hill we die on. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. I like what you're saying there. I think, I don't think it's going to happen with this bill. I don't think it's around the corner. Right. But I don't think it's, it's, it's being crazy to say, you can kind of look to the future here and the not so distant future. I think there's coming a day where there begins to be support from people who are not church people who are mad about how the church talks about same-sex marriage, LGBTQ sure. issues, sure. Um, human sexuality, and all. And when you start seeing things like uh, huge pastors flying planes and having huge, um, you know, campuses or mm-hmm. houses, you start to you can see. I don't think it's very far from the day where this turns, this generation, maybe the next generation, where the where the um, tax exempt status. A protection for churches no goes away. Exists. Yeah. And I do think a lot of churches will have to lay off staff and change the way they do things. But as you said, in some ways it's freeing. That's All right. what I was just thinking. I don't need to, right. we don't need to worry about the tax exempt status. Like right. we can go be what we're going to be into. Right. I think you make the important point. It doesn't change anything as in the mission of the church. It changes the finances of the church. It certainly does. And that's real. And it might it's change. It's real. It might change. Although, Although the reason that folks give to a church uh, should not be because of the tax benefit. If it changes any of that, suddenly you're not you're not a not for profit like all of those. Sure. That I don't want to act like that won't be challenging, difficult, painful, et cetera. Won't pinch us at the same time. It doesn't. I mean, I actually don't know enough about this. It might be interesting to find out sort of this the history of tax exemption status for the church, Mm because it's not like this was something. Paul and the early followers of Jesus were thinking about and fighting for. Yeah, no, I think this is our country. Yeah, I think this is yeah. for us. I think, yeah. um, you know, again, don't hear us wrong and go, oh, I hope they get rid of the tax. I know people who say we should get rid of the tax exempt status as because it frees us. from. Uh, government. I see. I'm going to be a lot more uh, yeah. practical about this. You would like to keep it. I would like I agree with for that. the sake of my church, yeah. for all of it. I would like yeah. to keep it in place. But I don't think it needs to be the deciding factor of right. what we are fearful of. Right. Because let's just be honest, whether it be same sex marriage, whether it be sexuality issues, yeah. whether it be whatever immigrate. I don't know. You pick the thing mm-hmm. there are our culture is moving away from traditional Orthodox Christian belief. Yeah. Not all Christians believe this about right, that or whatever, but let's talk. Gen- gener- uh, it's true. You're right. Christian or the, so if we're moving in different directions, if we're moving away, mm-hmm. then of course there's coming a day yeah. where the government's going to say, Nope, we, we, we you're, you're right. a bunch of bigots. Right. You're a bunch of you're homophobes. people. Uh, or mm-hmm. the flip side is you're greedy. Look at that mm-hmm. pastor who's making millions of dollars, whatever. You do not, we are not going to give you this shelter anymore. And I think we as the church can't go, that's the end of the church or that's our greatest fear. I think we go, okay, we got to figure this out now. The other thing we can't do is go, therefore I will, okay, I want this so badly. Therefore I'm going to change my theology or give up on this thing I believe is biblical. And I I wonder how much that will happen too. I agree. um, For the sake of... uh, I can't imagine many churches being like, 
fine. We'll, we won't be as strong theologically on this for a tax exemption. Like, I don't imagine there's that would happen. And yet you could see how it would be tempting. Okay, maybe this is a gray yeah. issue, not a black and white issue. Therefore, I think that's yeah. where it is. Yeah, it's, it's like, hey, uh, churches can disagree about this. I understand what the orthodox thing is. Mm-hmm. But if we were to fudge a little bit here, yeah, we get it could save us thousands upon thousands right. upon thousands right. of dollars. I mean, I, I don't. I don't foresee this happening with this bill or this no, year. I don't or, think so either. You know, I don't even know if it happens in our generation, but I think it's coming. And I think churches need to go, you know it's what? Definitely coming. That's not our our hope is not in our tax exempt status. Yeah, that's good. our our providing is not in our tax exempt status. So again, you and I are trying to walk the, the fine line here. I would like to keep the tax exempt yes, status. I hear you've said that. Yep. But I would like to hold it loosely yeah. and go, okay. It's a great benefit, but if we lose it, we lose it. We lose it, we lose it. We're still the church. Um, We are so thrilled to be joined today by Heather Dyer. Heather is the executive director of A Family for Every Orphan. Right now, she is here to talk with us about risk factors that Ukrainian children must overcome to avoid exploitation and how those of us who are Christians can help meet the needs of these children and their families. Heather, thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Heather, for our listeners who maybe aren't um, aware or maybe just because life has gotten busy and they haven't tuned back in, remind us the situation in Ukraine, especially with Ukrainian children. Sure. So um, as you well know, the war continues. And as of now, there are 65 percent of Ukrainian children are displaced. So that is 4.5 million children. And so um, when we think about um, just what we've learned from prior crises is when a family's needs are not met, that is when these children are most at risk of abandonment, trafficking, um, and at risk of going into institutional care. And so when we think of this displacement across the nation, um, you know, Children and families are not in their support groups anymore. Um, you know, they've lost everything. They've had to leave everything they've known behind. And so even just from a mental health perspective, having to settle over and not be in community. Mm. Um, obviously, many are without jobs right now. And as of three weeks ago, when um, Russia started targeting their energy infrastructure, as of today, 40% has been damage significantly and so when we think of the the winter freezing temperature setting in it's a very similar client to chicago and it is Mm. um it is one of our partners so we have 12 partners in ukraine and they all mention right now this is their greatest concern for children more so than bombing Mm. is just the fact that surviving through the winter is a real um going to be a real challenge as the um, attacks continue on their energy infrastructure even as of yesterday no it's so hard to hear those stories and it's a great reminder we don't want to be reminded but it is uh it is a great reminder and heather what happens to these kids i know i've heard stories of kids being forced into adoption that there's some real dark stuff going on with the kids of the ukraine can you help uh, us understand that absolutely and um yeah so so backing up a bit so we work with partners to um evacuate children amongst many other things they do they evacuate children from conflict zones and that includes cities and villages that are being reclaimed by Ukrainian troops, which there have been many of those lately. And so what they what they have found um, is when they go into these reclaimed villages, there are, um, you know, evacuating women many times without their children because the children have been deported 
to Russia. I think mm-hmm. as of this month, um, there's 8,000 children that Ukraine thinks have been deported to Russia. That includes wow. whole orphanages wow. that were in cities like Mariupol and other um, villages that were occupied for long periods of time um, by Russian mm-hmm. troops. And so um, it is um, happening. You know, they are openly um, adopting children in Russia, Ukrainian children in Russia. I think. Russia used to not allow the adoption of foreign children. And as of May, they issued a decree um, to allow um, emergency placement um, to foster or adopt Ukrainian children. And mm-hmm. so what, you know, what, what's been communicated um, to many of these parents in Russia is that they are children without families. Mm-hmm. And that's just not, that's just not the case, yeah. um, especially when we think about these orphanages um, in Ukraine, where 90% of them have families. And so even for the ones who families may have been um, injured or tragically killed during the war, many of them still have relatives. They still have, you know, family, friends, um, and obviously they want to stay in their culture. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, a, it's a real issue. It's, um, we have partners that actively work with government officials to identify the children that have been deported and help bring them back. Um, there have been some amazing, miraculous stories, even just last week, of some of these children that were able to be reunited with their families. But wow. um, it, it is heartbreaking. Wow. We're talking with Heather Dyer, the executive director of A Family for Every Orphan, chatting about the risk factors that Ukrainian children are overcoming right now and how Christians can help meet these children and their families' greatest needs. So let's actually talk about that, Heather. For people who are listening and are like, I want to do something, I'm, I am sure there are layers of needs if we're going to sort of triage this for us how can we help now what's the best way to help absolutely um so just to kind of keep some of it tangible as we think of course about um winter and so much needed in terms of like heating equipment as we think of the the trauma that these children have gone through especially the most vulnerable the ones in institutions who already come from a history of trauma and now the war Every single Ukrainian has been impacted um, by war. Um, the World Bank recently estimated that um, 70% of Ukrainians will be living in poverty by the end of the year, and that's mm. up from 18% wow. in 2021. Just to say to your point, there is so much need. And so what I would say is for anybody wanting to help support Ukrainian children and families, um, support organizations that are really focused on keeping families together. It, as I mentioned, when a family's needs are not met, these children are at extreme risk of abandonment, trafficking, and going into institutional care. So um, any amount of support for, for families um, is, is critical right now. And, and Heather, is there a need for adoption? Are there kids that, uh, whether it be foster care type of thing or long-term actual adopting kids in the families? And if so, if there's somebody listening interested, like, you know, we've been kind of praying about this, what, where would you point them? Great question. So there's a moratorium on adoptions right now from Ukraine. And oh. um, so the um, Ukrainian government, you know, adoption in any country is, is a long process. And so... Um, Thankfully, Ukraine has implemented some emergency foster care placements for these children. And so within the country, they are working feverishly to um, identify foster families and get children um, placed in them. As you can imagine, um, you know, Ukraine had one of the highest um, rates of 
children being institutionalized um, mm. per capita in Eastern Europe. Mm. And as we know and can imagine, um, the number of orphans being created out of this war is um, it, it's growing. And so, um, so yes, the so right now, um, really the focus is getting them into families, so supporting foster families and adoptive families in Ukraine, and then of course biological families. Yeah. So. The, the work that our partners at A Family for Every Orphan do, we have 12, just close to a dozen partners in Ukraine, and they are what we say focused on, on the three R's, helping children remain in, um, reunite with, or regain a family um, in their home country. And so, um, so yeah. Yeah, that sounds so fantastic. Where can our listeners, Heather, find out more about A Family for Every Orphan, and um, where can they go if they want to donate to your efforts in Ukraine today? Oh, sure. And thank you. So um, they can find us at a family for every org, And when they go there, you'll see um, a banner for the Ukraine relief efforts that all goes towards supporting um, and protecting um, children and families. Fantastic. Again, that's a family for every org. Heather, let me ask you one more question before we let you go for Christians who are out there and want to be praying. So they they would love to give financially, yeah. but they also want to pray or maybe they can only pray right now. What are some of the the prayers you guys are asking for? Absolutely. And, and, and one note on your comment of the, they can only pray. So we have one partner today at the beginning of the war. Um, we have two armies in Ukraine, the one on the ground and the millions of people across the world on their knees uh, praying amen. for us. And we, amen. and we feel it and they, they continue to, and it is really inspiring to see just the, the work of the Lord in Ukraine um, right now. And so what we ask is just um, prayer, prayer for, um, the Lord to be near, um, for them to see the hope, you know, this war is now, um, in a couple of months, it'll be a year that since it started. and it's, it's a long time for people to live under, um, those conditions. And so just, just pray for the, the helpers and the hope. And, um, of course, right now, especially for, um, for warmth, <laughs> just yeah. basic mm-hmm. needs of children and families, um, through this winter. Thank you so much for that. Heather Dyer is the executive director of A Family for Every Orphan. You can find out more. You can help today by going to afamilyforeveryorphan.org. Heather, thanks so much for being here with us today. We really appreciate what you're doing. We're cheering you on. And thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good on this Thursday evening. My name is Aubrey Sampson alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm. It is one week away from sweet potatoes and ham and... Whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Get that ham out of here. Turkey for Brian. Green bean casserole. No, not for me, for everybody. Turkey for everybody. Uh, Anyway, we hope that you have an amazing week ahead of you and then it goes by very fast. Ryan, I want to have a conversation about something called performance fatigue. But before we do, speaking of fatigue, you want to hear something that I I read this week? Yes, I do. There is a guy. I can't decide. Okay, you know I love Disney parks. Parks, yes. I can't decide if I'm for this or if this might ruin it for me. There is a man who finally broke the world record for uh, the amount of consecutive trips to Disneyland. He has gone 2,995 days in a row to Disneyland gets up in the morning goes and like gets his steps. So that's where he does his daily exercise. Maybe rides a ride. Maybe doesn't. 
So and he obviously has like a, he has like a year membership. Obviously. So he's not paying. He's not paying. All so the, time. the I think this is great, especially you know he lives there. Whatever else. Yeah. This is my one question: is the times that I've gone to Disney World or were any of those? Mm-hmm. It is un. It takes you so long to park and ride <laughs> in and all this stuff. Like that's such a good point. He's. He's got to be committed to this. He, it's eight years is what that is. This is how this started. He wanted to do it on a leap year so he could say he'd been to Disney 366, like 366 days in a year. Yep. But then he just liked it so much he kept going. But clearly he's maybe he's not even I mean, maybe he lives close enough that like he's actually jogging there. But I don't think that exists. It could exist. You've been to Disney World yeah. a lot of times. So don't you have to drive in? This and then is you Disneyland, take... though. Oh, Disneyland okay. I've is never set been up there. very different. Di- it's very different than Disney World. There you go. Yeah, I've so... never been there. I only think in Disney World where you drive in and then you park and you feel like you're there, but then you have to take the monorail yeah, or the yeah, boat. Yeah, no, no, and this, no. Disneyland's and like, a whole different setup. Am I ever getting setup? into this park? <laughs> That's so true. You have to have like an hour to get from I, place I, to place When my kids were younger, I was trying to convince them that the monorail or whatever was part of like the ride. Like, hey, we're going to do this because it just takes forever. Okay. So do you think, so you're for that, that wouldn't, sure. make, that yeah. wouldn't give you Disney fatigue Listen, or anything. people are walking the mall and stuff and yeah, that. Like, go true. walk Might as well do it at Disney. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I think I would, well, you know I love Disney parks. I think if it was just the exercise portion, I would actually really enjoy walking there every day. But I think some of the reason why I love the parks, the rides and the decorations and the whole like theming, that would lose its luster for me if I had gone there every day eight years in a row. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Anyway, but I, it doesn't sound like he's going there for the magical memory. It sounds like he's sound going there like for steps. He's go- going there to break records and have steps. That's All right. right. Well, speaking of things that might or might not uh, cause us fatigue, I want to talk about performance fatigue. I was reading something from Scott Sauls, who's a pastor that you and I really like down in the Nashville area where all the pastors live. To where they go to, all the, to where they're grazing. All the ministry people live. And uh, shout out to Ian Simpkins. That's right. Ian, we love you. Um, He is talking about how things in our lives that used to bring us delight and joy suddenly become dull and flat. Okay. Because of the daily responsibilities, the pressure, the distractions, the tyranny of the urgent. And so suddenly, like he says, this is his phrase, what used to bring us delight becomes mere duty. What used to stir our affections becomes an annoyance. Mm. What used to be our most tangible experience of grace becomes poisoned by grudges. What used to be face-to-face becomes side-to-side at best or back-to-back at worst. It's funny. I had a conversation yesterday with somebody, a young person, actually, Gen Z, who... um, That's her name? (laughs) No, that is not (laughs) her name. Jennifer Z. (laughs) Jennifer Z. Hello. What's your name? I'm Jen. Gen Z. (laughs) Jen Sable. Call me Gen Z for short. No, this person was a young person, so this surprised me. She's been part of a ministry for a long time, and suddenly she's starting to feel some of this fatigue, and what once gave her great delight is suddenly becoming dull and flat. And... um. Scott is talking about this in relation to the uh, Mary and Martha story, Mm, right? Where Mary's doing something for love, sitting at the feet of Jesus. And um, Martha, of course, is is busy. And and the story goes that she's very bitter about her sister. And what Scott Saul says is what Jesus was saying to Martha is something that he's also saying to us, which is this. Martha, Martha, before you try to change the world, you must first let me change you. 
Martha, Martha, before you make your mark on others, you must Mm. first let me make my mark on you. Martha, Martha, before you get busy to make things better, you must first let me make you better. Martha, Martha, before you can serve and feed me, you must first let me serve and feed you. So I was thinking about this in light of, you know, of course, ministry, but also just like loving our families each and every day, going to work each and every day, kind of just even the daily grind, like, all right, I got to clean my house again and do laundry again and go to the grocery store or whatever it is you're facing each and every day. I think many of us could fall prey to performance fatigue where something we once loved or took joy in can suddenly become boring. It can make you bitter. It can make you exhausted. And soon you're no longer you're experiencing life as dull and flat as as Scott is talking about here. What are your thoughts on his kind of anecdote to that, yeah. which or, or antidote to that, which is Jesus filling you first. Yeah, it's really good. It's uh, that Martha Mary story is a difficult one, right? Yeah, it because is. I, if we're honest, when we read the story of Martha and Mary, I think a lot of us go, Mary seems lazy in this story. I totally. Like, I always feel like, bad for Martha. Mar- every one of us as husbands have said to our wives at some point when people are coming over, eh, you know, <laughs> right? right. Well, Mary, well, quit being, quit being a Martha over there, right? But I think a lot of times we read that story and we think Mary's being lazy. Martha is mm-hmm. doing what has to get done. Yep. Of course, Martha would rather be at the feet of Jesus, but doesn't really have that opportunity. And so... You know, I, I, but Saul's is 100% right. Mm-hmm. The point of that story is priorities. And yeah. it's, um, it's, you know, when you have the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus, you take that opportunity rather than do the dishes or make your house look nice or whatever else it might be. And so I, I think it's right. It's just difficult. Like I wake up and my mind is immediately, what am I doing today? What has to get done? What are the many things that have to get done? And every minute that you're not doing those things, you feel like you're behind a yeah, little bit. Yeah, so totally. The only way you could do this is to truly prioritize that, you know, being in the presence of God is better, mm. that it matters, that it, and, and it's hard to truly yeah. believe that. I like getting stuff off my list. Yeah, I, I like getting stuff my list off my list, too. And it it, it is funny how... How we tend to like I used to get so mad about how like Martha was displayed in that because I'm like, well, yeah, the work has to get done. But of course, it's that invitation, right, to just simply be with Jesus. And then the work flows from there. Scott tells this story. He says, once one of our daughters asked me to watch her as she read a book silently (laughs) he says but she was after something more than a mere audience for her silent reading adventure what she wanted most was a blessing she wanted to hear me tell her how impressed i was that she could read a book all by herself that she could do no wrong and he says that was awesome she wanted to hear her dad say well done and he says there's something in all of us isn't there that is dying to be watched to be looked at to be seen and to hear well done yes It's funny, I had another conversation with someone else yesterday who was saying the same thing. Like, I just want to be seen and valued. Mm. Not, this person was like, not for what I can do. There's a lot I can do. I just want people to see and value me Mm -hmm. for who I am. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's sort of the heart's cry for all of us. And when that gets out of whack, that's when we do performance fatigue or burnout, I think is another way to put that when we start to feel like our identity is the work and that's all other people want from us. It can be easy to grow fatigued or it can easy to get burnout. Don't you think? And that's the difficult one. You bring up the one he talks about 
being with your kids. I can remember that. Like your kids just want you near them and totally. to spend time with me. And how much more, you know, does that carry our heavenly father mm. who is like, spend time with yeah. me in my presence. Like this is the important things of life. Yeah. I remember having to get to that point in my life when my kids were little, not to see them as impediments to the important things of life, but they were the important things of life and are the important things of life. And uh, until we believe that we're going to, we're just going to blow past these things. So yeah, a good words by Saul, uh, Scott Saul's again, because that Mary Martha story, we know the point of it. We just have a hard time living that it, point. It's so true. Okay, so if we do have a hard time living that point, which I think we do, what's a first step, Brian? Like, how do we begin to be more to be more Martha? What's the what's that book that's really popular? Mary Hard in a Martha World. Yeah. How that's do we good. begin to do that? So I think we we begin to prioritize quote unquote, sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? Reading scripture, prayer, these types of things by doing it. Like yeah. first things first, uh, you talk often about getting up and, and reading the Bible. And, mm-hmm. and once you start your stuff, then it kind of goes away. So totally. I think that's one. And I think there's also look at your own life. What do you legitimately prioritize? Yeah. You know, do you have your priorities correct with your family, with your, with Jesus, mm-hmm. with you know, whatever else it might be, are you constantly just running task to task to task with like a chicken with your head cut off, just kind of going and going and going? Yeah, that's 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 really good. I also think a reminder for me is um, there is enough time in the day to like do the to do list or enough time in the week to do the to do list. Mm-hmm. That being with Jesus is a thing that lasts for eternity. So make sure that you're um, focusing on your being and becoming as much as you are you are doing. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Common Good. It's the end of the show. It's Thursday. It's a week before Thanksgiving. My name is Aubrey Sampson, and I'm alongside my co-host, Brian Fromm, who I am going to just throw Thanksgiving trivia at. And I'm preparing you, Brian, for it. You're going to have some really good conversational fodder while you're eating next week because of all the things that I am about to teach you. Okay? Okay. I'm guessing you're not going to know the answers to most of these. So but you, go, you went fully obscure on me here. A little obscure. I'm okay. not going to lie. Some are sports related, though. So I, I no. hope you can prove your mettle. All okay. right. Are you ready? I am. Do you know what town canceled Thanksgiving because they couldn't make pumpkin pies? They couldn't make. They could pumpkin. not make pumpkin pies. Although that would be your dream Thanksgiving. But I would this love whole this town, town. Canceled Thanksgiving. Big town or small town? Small town, and I'll be honest. It was in the year seventeen oh five. Well, that's weird. Mm-hmm. So I guess the state. Yes. Instead of the town. Yes. Guess the state, because think you know. Now we've really gotten. Yeah. It now down we're to... like in colonies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's probably in the in Massachusetts. Oh, you're so close. New Hampshire. You're so close. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Mm, Vermont. So Maine. close. Ah. Connecticut. Yeah. Okay. It's the good people of Hartford. It's the good people of Colchester, Connecticut. Colchester, and listen Connecticut. to this. A frigid bout of cold weather in the middle of October led to Connecticut River freezing. Wow. So the settlers couldn't get their usual liquid sugar shipped from across the pond. Thus, the townspeople decided to postpone the holiday for one week in 1705. It was so legendary that Rose Mill Powers wrote a poem about it in the July 1908 issue of Good Housekeeping magazine interesting yep all right you ready for another one this Mm -hmm. this is sports okay Okay. i think you're gonna know this what professional football team has played almost every thanksgiving since 1934 no this i know that's the detroit lions (gasps) that's the detroit lions well done sir well done sir 
Um, so they were originally called the Portsmouth, Ohio Spartans. They were moved to Detroit by George A. Richards, a former owner. He rebranded them as the Detroit Lions, and George decided to host a Thanksgiving Day game against the world champ Chicago Bears at go. the time. The team always played on Thanksgiving, except between 1939 and 1944 due to World War II. The Dallas Cowboys also joined in on the Turkey Day That's tradition right. in 1966. They've played every Thanksgiving, except in 1975 and 1977. And this year, the Dallas Cowboys host the New York Giants. <gasps> so I will be parked Brian. in front of a television, so all stuffed, ready to roll. I'm very excited for you. All right, here's another one. What you? I feel like you should know this for sure, but we'll see. What city is home to the oldest Thanksgiving parade? Think like. Is it not founding the, oh. fathers? Because I was going to go the most. The most important Thanksgiving parade is the Macy's Day Parade in New York. It is so, not, that's that not, the one. not that founding one. fathers feels like Philadelphia. Philadelphia uh, is correct. The Philadelphia Gimble Brothers Department Store Parade in 1920. It had only 50 people, 15 cars, and a fireman dressed as Santa Claus. You do? I do. That was a shocking thing to say. Is that a very New Jersey opinion? I'm North Jersey. I'm North Jersey. Okay, why do you hate Philadelphia? They're all all my least favorite teams. Yeah, yeah. Philly's kind of related to South Jersey. I'm North Jersey. We're related to New York. Wow. Even Fresh Prince. Well... He moved out to Bel Air. I guess that's true. He got beat up in Philadelphia. He left Philadelphia. Oh, you're right. Wow. Even though in West Philadelphia, he was born and raised. Yeah, he did leave. All right. Let's see if you know this one. This is kind of a quirky little trivia fact. What did President Calvin Coolidge famously receive as a Thanksgiving gift? A musket. Not a musket. A, um. One more guess. It is of the animal variety. A goat. Close. Cheap. A live raccoon. <laughs> it's not close. Ooh, I hate raccoons more than I hate Don't Philadelphia. Don't you hate raccoons? Ooh. But listen to this. In November 1926, Vinnie Joyce of Mississippi sent the 30th president of the United States a live raccoon to be served as Thanksgiving dinner. Gross. However, the president became smitten with the furry animal, pardoned it, adopted it as a pet, and then he named it Rebecca. Do you know what a slang word is for raccoon? No. You don't? Philadelphian. <laughs> a slang word for a raccoon is a trash panda. Oh, yes. that I do know that. That's funny. That's okay. actually really funny. That's comedy so. right there. All right. That's comedy. <laughs> that, that one will go. That yes. one right there. Okay. Uh, how long was the first Thanksgiving? 24 hours. No. <laughs> <laughs> you are incorrect, sir. Three days. Three days is right. There we go. Three days is right. Okay. You didn't appreciate the humor of 24 hours enough there. No, I didn't. I'm sorry. All right, (laughs) Brian, you ready? Yes. What food did the colonists and Native Americans not have? Turkey. Yes, it is turkey. They did not have turkey. It is turkey. While most of us enjoy turkey as the centerpiece of our table, no one can say for sure whether it was even on the menu back in 1621. However, you know what they did indulge in? Duck. Lobster, lobster, which is good, but ready for this? Seal and swan. Oh, okay. Hey, all right. What area of Massachusetts still looks just like it did in the 17th century? You should know this. Boston? No. Boston looks like it does. You can walk in those cobblestones. Plymouth. Plymouth Plantation stays true to its historic roots. Do you know, I went to a uh, trip to Plymouth when I was a senior in high school 
and I snuck into one of the pilgrim beds and took a picture. You're not supposed to do oh, that, to but I did. A nap. I was like, Whoa. no, I, didn't. I just took a picture. All right. Did you know when I was a senior in high school, we were supposed to go to Washington D.C. And it was, that's what you always, no, no, I'm sorry, not senior high school, when I was in eighth grade. When oh, I was in eighth okay. grade, the, the eighth DC grade trip. Would yes. trip was to D.C. But my eighth grade year was the year of the first Persian Gulf War. No way. So they uh, they canceled that trip, but you know where we got to go? Gettysburg and Hershey Park. Oh, I've always wanted to go to Hershey Park. Smells like chocolate. That's in Philadelphia, though, or no, right? it's in Pennsylvania. Oh, it's in Pennsylvania, but not Philadelphia. Correct. Is is Hershey Park, like, it's an amusement park, right? It's a great amusement park. Yep, and yep, do you, yep. Do you, do you see how the chocolate is made there? That's why I want to go. It's been a very long time. You do go into a factory. There's, I like, don't, a little factory. I don't remember how great of a tour it is, but there is a tour. It's been a very long, probably since I was in eighth grade, yeah, since I okay. ever went there. okay. Uh, so it's been a very long time, but uh, well worth your time, if I remember right. It's not like you would think it's like Willy Wonka in the That's chocolate factory. That's what I'm imagining. You're like sitting in a cool chair and you're going through all the different rooms where the chocolate's made. Okay. All right. Let me sh- uh, give you a couple more trivia tips, tidbits for Thanksgiving. What president refused to declare Thanksgiving a holiday? It's because he believes so firmly in the separation of church and state. He believes so firmly in the mm-hmm. separation of church and state yes. that one Abraham Lincoln. No, Abraham Lincoln actually made it a national holiday. This president reversed what Abraham did. Ulysses S. Grant. No. William Taft. No. Would you like me to just George H.W. Bush? <laughs> <laughs> Correct, sir. No. Initials are TJ. Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson. <laughs> that Thomas he thought Jefferson. it would be better sweet, suited as a state holiday, not a federal one. All right, I'm going to give you one more. What do Thanksgiving and the song Mary Had a Little Lamb have in common? Uh... Gosh, I don't know. I don't even know where to go with that one. Yeah, this is a weird one, but here's here's the answer. They were both created by the same woman. Really? Listen to this. Writer and editor Sarah Josepha Hale convinced President Abraham Lincoln to officially declare Thanksgiving a national holiday after three decades of persistent lobbying. Okay. She also founded the American Ladies Magazine, which promoted women's issues long before suffrage. She wrote countless letters and articles advocating for Thanksgiving to help unify the northern and southern states amid gathering divisions. She earned the title the mother of Thanksgiving. Okay. I know. Interesting. Okay. Let me give you one more because this is pretty fascinating. I'm ready. What wasn't part of the first Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade? What was not? Was not part. And this is like a, it's a staple of the parade. So you should know. I have two choices here. Yeah. There's two choices going through my mind. I'm going to go with Santa Claus. No. What was your next choice going to be? Big inflatable balloons. Big inflatable balloons Mm. were not part. I don't even know if they were invented then, but they certainly weren't. Do you know that's supposed to be like the real Santa Claus? That's the whole deal about that one. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Like compared to other Santa Clauses, he goes to the Macy's Day Parade. Macy's Day Parade. Okay. I do like that parade. I love that parade. It's so fun to watch every year. Absolutely. I also like the Disney uh, Thanksgiving show is fun too. That's really good. I thought that's Christmas. It is Christmas, but they show it on Thanksgiving. Like if you're watching it on ABC. I do like that too. All right. Hopefully you are now in the mood for Thanksgiving next week. Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.